Welcome to Immigration and Mobility Decoded, Episode 2. It's Tuesday, March 14th, and we have a great episode ahead for y'all. Uh, our conversation with Arf Kimani, uh, President and Chief Operating Officer at Mob Squad. Uh, but before we get there, Finn, I uh, just want to spend a couple of minutes just recapping uh, the last week or so. We are really fighting for spring here in Maine. It's a battle every day between rain and snow at this point. I'm yeah. happy if it's rain. It's just going to help the grass grow greener faster. <laughs> so really just here praying for warm weather. How's it for you guys over in, uh, in the Midwest in Chicago? Uh it's it's a little bit weird. It, it, it's uh, kind of been snowing the last couple of days, and I feel like it's been snowing and colder these last few days, more so than like the entire month of February. Um, so you know, it's just it's just a reminder that winter in Chicago doesn't really end until I don't know, March, late March, May, sometimes even early June. Who knows? Just depends on the year. Um, but the big thing is 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 daylight savings time. Uh, this clock switch is just it's just messing with my body and my with my uh, overall level of attention. Is it affecting you as much as is it's affecting me? For sure, it always takes a couple of days to get used to. I mean, we we're, we'll talk a lot on this podcast about what Congress is doing on all sorts of immigration bills, but they do have a bill underway right now to just eliminate daylight savings time altogether, which. It, depending on what time of year you ask me, I'm in favor of. Uh, <laughs> and if you ask me on Sunday morning whether or not I'm in favor of limiting daily savings, I would say yes. Yeah, uh, it's funny. You, it's funny you bring that up. Uh, my wife and I were talking about that yesterday. And last year in Congress, uh, the Senate uh, legislation proposed by Marco Rubio, the senator from Florida, uh, passed the Senate unanimously, like. Was, I, if I recall correctly, it was like a voice vote, and just think, just think about our, you know, the current structure of of the legislative branch. When was the last time anything passed unanimously? And it, the House just never took it up, and it's it's baffling. Yeah, it's uh, there, there's a lobby behind it. Actually, I, I can't think of the organization's name, but I remember reading an article about it. Um, and there's all these statistics they cite for why uh, the, the case behind why daylight savings time should be eliminated and uh, heart attacks and heart related uh, 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 medical emergencies increase significantly uh, in the November fallback um, when you lose an or is it spring forward? Whatever time of the year when you lose an hour of sleep, uh, the rate of, of heart uh, issues increases significantly in that 24 hour period yeah. afterwards because people don't get as much sleep. I mean, I, yeah, I, I, it's just going off of my experience these last two days, I slept in until like 1130 yesterday, but that's just because we thought it was, you know, 1030 and I, you know, I, I'm in favor of, of, of the daylight savings, like time, time. I'm just not in favor of the, the clock switch anymore. I, when I was younger, it, you know, it affected me, but just as we've gotten older, it, it, it just confuses me. Like, why are we still doing this? There's no point to it. And yeah, let's just get that legislation moving. Um, hey, I think speaking actually, of, speaking of losing sleep, there are hundreds of thousands of H1B applicants, prospective applicants right now who are, who are waiting on their 
their lottery, hopeful lottery selection. Yeah. But I imagine uh, daylight savings isn't helping uh, their stress levels right now either. No, no, totally. And and the lottery uh, registration period closes this Friday, March seventeenth. Let me make sure I got my dates right. Yes, yep. Friday, March seventeenth. So, um, yeah. So I mean, Finn, uh, and and you know, just if you want to remind our audience. Uh, Registration period opened up earlier this month and it closes the 17th. So employers have until the 17th to submit registrations. And then what happens afterwards? Right. So then uh, March 31st, USCIS says that intends, it intends to notify selected registrants. Um, last year, I believe they selected about 120,000 or so uh, folks out of the lottery. Mm. And our listeners might know that being selected in the lottery doesn't guarantee you're going to get an H-1B um, approval. It just means that USCIS is actually going to assess your application. All of the lottery submissions that are not selected basically just get thrown out by USCIS. They're not going to consider it. Um, so then after March 31st in April, that's when USCIS um, will allow employers to begin filing the H-1B cap subject petitions. Uh, for any of the registrants, any of the uh, foreign nationals uh, who were selected uh, at the end of March there. Got it. Thanks for that recap. It's, um, yeah, yeah, a lot of uh, uh, important dates coming up to to remember. And then throughout this, if someone is selected throughout this process, um, then they would, and, and everything goes according accordingly, uh, they'd be able to start their employment on October 1st. Is that correct? Right. Yeah. There's sort of two ways to get an H-1B petition, right? There's a change of status, which means you're already in the U.S. And once your H-1B is approved sometime in the next few months here, hopefully by USCIS, mm -hmm. uh, you'd be able to transition from whatever your current visa status is to an H-1B. Or if you're outside of the U.S., uh, you can get a visa stamp uh, for your H-1B petition once it's approved and then enter the U.S. after October 1st. Obviously, that varies depending on certain situations, but that's sort of the the main uh, two options for H one B applicants. Yeah, and th and Finn, I think uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention following that that you and I are not attorneys. Uh, so again, for any, if you do have any legal questions or want more, if have any legal questions, uh, definitely recommend speaking to an attorney for further information. Hundred percent, and we'll put the uh, the links to the USCIS pages in the show notes as well. Totally, totally. Um, Finn, as we move into our immigration news recap, one article that I wanted to just get your talk talk with you about briefly. Um, it, it, it came across my feed last week, and it's from Politico. Uh, no avoiding it now. Immigration issues threaten. Biden's climate program. So for some quick uh, context, last year, uh, the, the government um, and President Biden signed two uh, pieces of legislation, actually three um, to talk about here. The Inflation Reduction Act, the Infrastru Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, and the Chips and Science Act. Um, all three of them, you know, essentially boil down to, uh, you know, building and enhancing uh, America's infrastructure, whether it's roads and bridges, uh, public transportation, or in the case of the Chips and Science Act, boosting the semiconductor industry and, and base, you know, providing those incentives for 
companies like NVIDIA to, to produce their semiconductors or, or chips uh, here in the United States. The immigration angle to this, according to Politico, is that there are, are not enough Americans to meet uh, the job demand or the future job demand, um, you know, to, to help these companies really invest and build uh, this infrastructure. Uh, the article then goes into, you know, just talking about the current immigration setup, which uh, if you're listening to this and Finn, you, you know, pretty well of just the, the, some of the, the, the restrictions the U.S. immigration system, you know, has, uh, I think, you know, given that we're in H-1B season, uh, I think that's a good example of, you know, there's only 85,000 H-1B visas available. And last year, over 480,000 people submitted registrations. And you're likely going to see the same, if not higher, number this year in terms of uh, electronic registration submitted. Um, and so I just thought it was an interesting, uh, interesting look at these these massive pieces of legislation and tying it to, you know, just the workforce in general. And it's, it's just the legislators, uh, business executives recognize the need for uh, more, more, more individuals to help fill the labor demands. Uh, you know, Finn, what are you, what are your thoughts on just, just you, for, for just, I guess in general on, on, on these pieces of legislation and, and knowing what you know of, of, uh, you know, we focus a lot on the high skill part, um, at Envoy Global, but, you know, a lot of these jobs, you know, will be helped building you know, these massive factories, uh, uh, you know, roads, bridges, et cetera. Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting conundrum, right? Because, um, while these, these pieces of legislation are, are, uh, well-intended, right. To be job creators in key, uh, industries, key sectors that are important for the country's critical infrastructure. Um, they sometimes are short-sighted in the fact that immigrant labor has always been a key piece of the puzzle when it comes to progress in the country, right. Um, in every sector from, you know, what are considered higher skill trades to what are, you know, sometimes considered lower skill trades. But when it comes to critical infrastructure and building, you know, uh, clean energy infrastructure and microchips that we need here at home, uh, you'd think that it, it would make maybe a, a bit more sense to, uh, to, to call anyone working on those projects, you know, uh, critical, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and immigrant labor makes up a big part of that. I think it's interesting in that political article uh, you, you mentioned uh, at the very end, uh, Teresa Cardinal Brown, who's uh, 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 an immigration policy expert at the Bipartisan Policy Center, a DC-based uh, think tank. Um, you know, had a quote saying Canada literally places billboards in Washington uh, State saying, you know, immigrants come over here, right? Come to Canada. Um, and that's something we talk with, with ARF in our conversation uh, today a lot about, right? That right. Canada set up their immigration policy uh, and their immigration system in a way where they, if they pass a bill like this, or if they pass bills that um, are gonna, you know, create a requirement for skilled, unskilled labor to come in and help build these new projects or uh, uh, manage these new initiatives, they, 
have a very rapid system set up so that they're able to bring in foreign talent to help fill some of those labor gaps that can't be met by by native labor. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I'm excited to, to have the audience hear what Art thinks about that. Yeah, totally. And I think I think to add to that, it's it's across uh, and this, these labor shortages. You know, span almost all the job titles that you can think of. Um, here in the article references, you know, electrical engineers, uh, foreign-born construction laborers. So it spans it spans the gamut of in terms of where these job openings are. Uh, something else that caught my eye in this article, which we'll link below, is that the uh, reporter says that there are uh, discrete discussions going on about immigration legislation, uh, particularly among Senators uh, Tim Kaine and Lindsey Graham. Uh, According to Politico, they have discussed uh, legislation to help support people with temporary protected status, um, which I thought was interesting. You know, early in this year, we haven't heard too much about immigration legislation. Um, so we'll, we'll keep an eye on that and see, and see, we'll see where that goes. And uh, I think final, th- final thing from my end is it's not just the, uh, you know, green industry that, it, that is, uh, has these labor uh, shortages. Uh, Political says, quote, immigration restrictions are even hindering oil and gas companies right now. And that's according to uh, a representative from Texas. So it, you know, it, it's, it's just a really interesting thing. And I think it just adds further, further evidence uh, to everything that we've been seeing um, you know, throughout these last couple of years, uh, the recent 2023 immigration trends report that, you know, there are these massive job openings and, uh, there's legislators, business community, again, I think are, are kind of ringing the bell that, uh, immigration reform is needed in some way. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of. There's a lot of advocacy for it. There's a lot of uh, strong voices, like you said, Senator Tim Kaine, Senator Lindsey Graham, uh, and others with a, a lot of political capital in Washington who are in support of making common sense, you know, widely supported um, improvements to the immigration system to fill some of these gaps that are being highlighted uh, in Politico's reporting and others. But I mean, for those listening, whether you're a foreign national employee stuck in the backlog, uh, an employer, um, you know, an HR at a company who is involved in the immigration uh, function pretty closely uh, or an immigration lawyer, anyone else, and you've followed policy developments and political developments on employment-based immigration and immigration in general in DC. Um, unfortunately, it's unlikely this is gonna go anywhere in, in the next year or so. Uh, Eric, I wanted to get your thoughts on, on, on a topic related to that. Um, not to, not even though we just sort of poo-pooed the idea of of much getting done in DC, uh, Congress, Congressman uh, Krishnamurthy, uh, Raja Krishnamurthy from uh, Illinois' eighth congressional district, introduced a bill uh, last week, I believe, um, titled uh, the, the the press release says it's a bill to improve the legal immigration system and eliminate visa backlogs. Uh, I haven't looked into the details too much, but the bare bones of the bill is. Uh, essentially, there are per country uh, green card caps um, that disproportionately impact 
uh, Indian and Chinese uh, immigrants in, in this country mm -hmm. uh, who have to wait decades or more sometimes uh, to even qualify to apply for a green card because of these annual per country green card caps. Um, and this bill would, would seek to uh, improve that uh, with a few different, uh, by pulling a few different levers. I wonder if you have any, any reaction to that, Eric? I think any news on immigration legislation is good news, and I'd be curious to see where this goes. Uh, I think there it's just another example or another good indication of, of, of eliminating or the green card backlog or, or doing something about it is top of mind or is at the forefront for some uh, legislators. At the end of last year, I know there was a lot of movement uh, in Congress, particularly on the Senate side, to. Oh, my mom, my memory is is a little bit hazy. Um, to 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 address the the green card backlog, I'd have to look up specifics. Um, so I think I think it's good that that uh, uh, representative. Uh, I'm going to mispronounce his last Christa name. Morty. Yeah, Christa Morty. There we go. Uh, yeah, is, is, is introducing this, this legislation. Um, how would, uh, I, I know the details are a little bit scarce right now, but Finch, based off of your, um, your, your just your, your knowledge of, of the green card backlog, visa bulletin, et cetera, how would a, you know, eliminate green card backlog act uh, work in theory? So, right, there's, there's, two, there's two ways being discussed. Uh, there, there's multiple ways to, to go about it. And there's lots of folks who are much smarter than I who, who know the issue uh, much more deeply, who uh, can elaborate on all of the, the different options available. Uh, but the two that seem to make, uh, seem to encompass the, the majority of the conversation, uh, the two options available are either remove the per country green card caps, right? So I just mentioned that those disproportionately impact Indian and Chinese uh, um, immigrants uh, here, uh, just because there tends to be a high volume of uh, Indian nationals and Chinese mm -hmm. nationals who immigrate to the U.S. on employment-based visas um, and other visa types, right? And because they're only allotted a few thousand green cards each year uh, within their specific employment-based green card uh, category, um, it, it becomes very, very difficult for them to even get close enough to the front of the line where they can apply for a green card. So that's option one. Option two is just uh, increase the overall number of green cards and employment-based green cards available each year, which uh, Congress Congress could do. Yeah, um, We actually asked that question in our immigration trends report uh, and 58% uh, of, excuse me, in our immigration trends survey, um, and 58% of the 500 plus HR professionals who we uh, surveyed said that they were in favor of uh, just increasing the overall number of employment-based green cards available each year, um, and about 40% said they prefer option one, just removing the per-country green card caps that, again, disproportionately impact Indian and Chinese green card applicants. Does the green card cap um, kind of help explain the the government failing to utilize uh you know, a certain number of visas uh, in, in the representative state uh, press release. He says, quote, U.S. immigration officials failed to utilize approximately 
9,100 employment-based visas in fiscal year 2020 and over 66,000 in fiscal year 2021. That's just USCIS incompetence, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, and it, be, it being, you know, part of the executive branch and being subject to uh, politics and yeah, changes in yeah. administration. Um, can certainly impact the agency's ability to operate smoothly. Yeah. Um, which is and, and, and lack of manpower at times. Lack of manpower, um, lack of, you know, maybe, maybe modern, yeah. <laughs> modern processes for, uh, adjudicating immigration applications. Um, all of that's a real problem. There's calls across the board from you know, the business community from the foreign national community, just from, you know, Americans who are, uh, who, who understand how fraught and how, um, uh, slow the system can be, uh, yeah. to make for USCIS to make improvements. Um, on that note, one, one other, uh, newsworthy topic I wanted to bring up was that, uh, USCIS did announce last week that they are expanding premium processing. Uh, the, the ability to obtain premium processing for certain F1 students seeking OPT or STEM OPT extensions. Um, don't want to go too into the weeds on, on this announcement, but uh, essentially, you know, anyone who's an, who's an F1 student, who's a, a foreign immigrant student studying here, uh, has the ability to get up to one year of work authorization um, on the OPT program. Um, and then if they're in a STEM field, they have the ability to get up to three, two additional years. So three years in total of work authorization, uh, on the STEM OPT program, OPT stands for op optional practical training. Uh, and then after that, they need to find a visa, like an H1B, an employer sponsored visa to continue working here. Um, that system has always been frustrating for many foreign nationals who are on F1 visas, um, because it can sometimes be very slow to extend uh your opt or stem opt status uh in the past and so mm -hmm. the introduction of premium processing right around h1b cap season uh, and a lot of folks who are applying for the h1b cap are going to be uh foreign nationals who are an f1 opt or f1 stem opt that will hopefully make a real difference and is a good sign of uh, uscis you know moving towards a more digital yeah. uh, system sorry i forgot to mention that that as part of this announcement USCIS is allowing some applicants to apply for premium processing uh, through an online filing of a premium processing form. So yeah. good news on that front, at least. Definitely agree. Definitely good news. Um, yeah, I think the final uh, news item that I would, or I want to just quickly, quickly bring up is uh, by the time most people are listening to this, the comment period will have ended, but USCIS uh, did extend the comment period on the increase on immigration fees. It was originally supposed to run until March 6th, uh, but it was extended until yesterday, March 13th. Um, so we'll see, we'll see uh, what, what happens next. Um, but some of these, you know, fee increases, you know, fit to your to your point, uh, USCIS is a fee-based agency, and you know, a couple of years ago, they were facing, um, you know, some some operating difficulties due to lack of of, of funding and and whatnot. Um, so we'll keep an eye out on this one as well and see uh, what USCIS says uh, regarding these these proposed uh, fee updates. 
So with that, Finn, um, yeah, I think we're ready to to hop into our conversation with our Kimani. Uh, anything else um, top of mind for, for our listeners that you want to share? No, just really excited to share our conversation with Arf. He's a really smart guy, uh, really knowledgeable about working with uh, companies and, and foreign national employees who are making that transition uh, into into the Canadian immigration system. And we really dive deep with him about the uh, the differences between the U.S. and the Canadian immigration system, and uh, where you know, uh, as we highlighted in some of the news stories today, where the Canadian immigration system um, you know tackles. Uh, certain issues and problems yeah. that it has much quicker and much more efficiently than, yeah. than we do here in the U.S. So excited for that, Eric. Totally, totally. Same, same here. Always enjoy speaking with ARF. And uh, the, the conversation is also super timely. Uh, if, you know, again, we are in the midst of H1B cap season and um, Canada has positioned itself as an H1B alternative. Um, and ARF speaks more to how employers can you know look to canada to to hire or retain uh the talent uh foreign talent as they wish all right so with that uh let's hop into our conversation with arf kimani the president and chief operating officer of mob squad oh arf thank you so much for joining us today no thank you for having me uh, super excited for our conversation. Our conversation today uh, is going to focus a lot on Canadian immigration, um, the system, everything from the policies to H-1B Canada's an H-1B alternative and much, much more. But Arf, before we get there, I uh, just want to give you a chance to kind of introduce yourself to our audience for those who might be unfamiliar with you. Just want to learn more about, you know, your background, how you got involved with the company and how you got uh, involved with Canadian immigration. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so just a little bit of background. I was uh, born and raised in, in Vancouver in Canada. Um, I graduated from, from UBC out in the province of PC and uh, spent the first part of my career working in Toronto. Uh, for Procter and Gamble, uh, then moved back to Vancouver uh, to work for for Amazon in Vancouver, uh, both in finance related roles. So done everything from sales finance to brand management finance to operations finance, and uh, you know was wanting to get uh, more into something that I had a lot of passion for and, and had some purpose uh, behind it. And uh, that's you know that's where uh, my career started with Mob Squad. It was actually founded by uh, Irfan Rauji, who's now our founder and executive chair. Um, and, uh, the reason I brought up UBC is he was one of my professors back at, UBC. uh, <laughs> nice. and so we had, uh, yeah. And so we'd kept in touch over the years. Um, and, you know, he had sent out a note saying, you know, we're starting this thing. We've, you know, raised some funds. We think it's a really good idea. Uh, if you're interested in learning more, let me know. And I, you know, I put my hand up and when he was explaining it, it was kind of this perfect marriage of, you know, something I was really interested in was getting involved in the startup space. Um, but also something that had really meaningful purpose in terms of what it was doing in trying to help uh, people uh, build better lives for themselves in Canada. Uh, and we'll certainly get into the company, you know, as we go down, um, as well as just, a, you know, an opportunity to work with really, really awesome people. And so that's how I ended up uh, joining Mob Squad. That's, that's awesome. That's an awesome story. Thank you so much uh, for sharing that. Uh, yeah, I hope Orfron's doing, uh, doing well. It's been a while since I uh, have spoken to him. Uh, I think I've, technically known Erfron since like 2018 or so um so yeah no you guys are awesome and yeah i can't I can't tell you how much it's it, it means to have you 
as the officially second ever guest uh, on our show. So <laughs> yeah, that's a, it's a, thank you so much. Um, so Arf, um, just also curious, I, you know, we know your background with Mob Squad, but what are your hobbies and interests outside of work? Yeah, of course. Uh, I mean, a few things that I that I love. I love music, live shows, and concerts, and just general things about that. As I'm sure, if my team will be listening to this, will laugh because I'm very strongly opinionated about what I like and don't like in, in music and pop culture. Uh, what what, you know, what what are some examples? I mean, I'm a big, uh, you know, I, I, I'm pretty genre agnostic. Like I love, uh, you know, electronic music, rap, hip hop, uh, rock, like kind of all over and, you know, going all the way from sixties to now. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I'm, you know, I've kind of all over the place. I, I just love a good live show. And I, I, one of my favorite things is getting into an artist that you didn't really know that you see it either opening for someone else or at a mm -hmm. festival or something. And it's just, yeah. it's a very cool, yeah. <laughs> cool feeling. Um, Otherwise, super into sports, huge basketball fan, big Raptors fan, used to be a season ticket holder when I lived in Toronto. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't play as much because I'm not, I'm terrible, but I enjoy <laughs> watching basketball. And then hockey, of course, uh, being Canadian, a big fan of hockey, trying to play once a week and then also, uh, um, you know, watch as much as I can. Totally. Who's your, uh, who's the team you root for? I am a uh, Canucks fan, which has Canucks. been a tough slog for the last uh, 10 or 15 years here, but <laughs> hopefully things will turn around. Yeah, I mean, yeah, uh, definitely. I'm sure you've had your fair share of, of heartbreak uh, come, come, come Stanley Cup uh, playoff time. Although I will say, uh, you know, being in Chicago, Chicago in uh, some of those playoff series between the Canucks and Blackhawks and, you know, early, early 2010s where were just a thing of beauty just going back and forth and the Canucks had the Blackhawks for for a while there if I if I recall correctly so so yeah I mean you definitely had us early uh but one series that we did beat you uh where we, we went all the way to the cup final was definitely the, one of the highlights of 20 our, that of was uh 20, 2011. 20, 2011 yep 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 that yeah, was, uh, yeah. and even then I think that was it wasn't that a seven game series as well or might might be off on that one I believe so. Yeah, I think it was yeah. like, my memory has become terrible these days, but I believe so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so, in addition to watching sports, um, anything that you're currently watching in terms of you know movies, TV series? Uh, I mean, there's just so much out there. Uh, but anything at the top of your watch list? Yeah, I mean, I, I somehow find a way to consume a lot of content. It's kind of what relaxes me at the end of the day. So yeah. <laughs> get through quite a lot. Uh, currently watching The Last of Us. I don't know if you're watching that on HBO. It's oh, hell yeah. Yes. Really, really well Great done. Show. I I didn't actually play the game, but uh, which is which I think is great because it's all a surprise to me. Mm -hmm. uh, but I thought I think they're doing an amazing job. I thought Andor was really, really good on, on Disney. Uh, yeah. Probably the best Star Wars programming since the original trilogy in my mind. Mm -hmm. uh, and super excited for uh, Succession coming back at, uh, yes. later this month. So it's another favorite of mine. <laughs> totally. Arf, who's your favorite Canadian actor? You got a lot of good ones who've come out of the North there. That's a good question. I mean, uh, I think Ryan Reynolds is pretty popular right now. He's, he's, he's super fun. But, you know, going back, Jim Carrey was always a favorite, especially uh, when I was young <laughs> with, with Ace Ventura and The Mask and all of that. But, yeah, we do have quite a few uh, yeah. actors and artists, actually. Yeah, The Last of Us, uh, amazing show. Uh, as someone who who like played the game, it is. I'm not as opinionated on like video game adapta adaptations, 
uh, but it is by far the best video game adaptation that I've seen. And it is such a great show. And I, I think fun fact too, and kind of relation, a lot of it was filmed in parts of Canada. Um, so I remember there's one, uh, I think early in like uh, the second episode, um, Mm-hmm. They 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 had a little thing. It's like ten miles outside of Boston, and you can see like a mountain and a river, and everyone was kind of like, "Yeah, I'm not sure about that one," but it, it was just because they were filmed <laughs> in Canada. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot in Calgary, where our headquarters is actually, and okay. uh, and near Canmore, which is just outside of Calgary. Yeah. So, uh, having spent a couple of years there, you can definitely recognize some of the uh, <laughs> some of the areas of, of Canada, not quite uh, not quite Boston. Got it. So I yeah. Recently, oh, sorry, Eric. No, no, no. Go, yeah, go. I was going to say, I recently learned that most Hallmark movies are actually filmed in Canada as well. All those Hallmark Christmas movies, I guess they just like to use the magic that is uh, Central Canada to film those. <laughs> I did not know that. I can't say I watch a lot of those, but that's good to know. <laughs> I begrudgingly learned that this holiday season. <laughs> begrudgingly. Nice. Um, so, Arf, sounds like you've, you've, you've uh, lived in quite a few different places uh, throughout the country of Canada. Uh, what's your favorite part about living in Canada? Yeah, I mean, I was, I was thinking about this, and, you know, there's a few things. Obviously, I think it has really amazing cities and, and tons of natural beauty and things to do. But the thing that, for me, has always stood out is is the people. So whether that's been in Vancouver, Toronto, or Calgary, uh there's just great people everywhere. It's a really multicultural, diverse country. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing that kind of is a through line is that people are super friendly, really kind, really welcoming, and, and a lot of fun. Uh, and there's a there, there's a really awesome just embrace of of different cultures um, across the country. And so you know you'll you'll very easily be able to find uh, you know dozens of countries worth of cuisines in any major city. Um, there's lots of arts and culture related to the different communities that are out here. Um, and so it's, it's always just awesome because you get to experience so much of what is offered in the world without having to leave your city, just because there's such a, a great diverse group of people that's, that's, you know, really embraced it. It's, it's, uh, a lot of fun. Totally. Final question for you. Uh, you mentioned cuisine. Uh, what in your mm-hmm. opinion is well, two-parter, uh, the best Canadian uh, dish, food dish, and then what's the best Canadian beer sure yes i mean for food dish i mean not to stereotype but if it's got to be canadian it's probably got to be poutine (laughs) i i can't understand why that hasn't taken off in the u.s because it's a combination of fries gravy and cheese it's the best yeah everything in there is perfect (laughs) um i know finn was thinking he goes up to montreal a lot which is it's pretty popular out there so i mean as far as canadian dishes that's that's definitely up there uh in terms of beer I would say similar to the U.S., the best thing is actually just all the different craft and kind of microbreweries that are around. So mm-hmm. if you're in Vancouver, there's a great one called House of Funk. Uh, in Calgary, there's a really fun one called Cold Garden. And in Toronto, there's one called Blood Brothers. They're all just it, why I like those ones is they brew pretty unique and interesting stuff. And they, they take chances and kind of just have uh, very fun uh, options. Uh, and so those are, those are just some of my favorites. And, you know, I just recommend doing kind of brewery crawls if you're ever in any of those cities, cause they, they all have lots of good options. Totally. You can never go wrong with, uh, uh, a citywide brewery crawl. I think it's probably one of my favorite activities, uh, particularly <laughs> in the summer. And to your point about, uh, poutine not taking off, it, it, it just sparked a memory in me. Uh, I live in, uh, so I'm in Chicago and uh, a couple of years ago, there's a stretch 
um, in a neighborhood of the city called Logan Square. And there used to be this little joint that uh, served poutine. Um, and it was, it was one of those late night spots, you know, it was open like till three, three in the morning and you go there at, you know, one, mm. two, and it was, it was chef's kiss going there at, you know, after midnight and they unfortunately closed down, uh, I don't even like 2017 and it was, uh, pretty, pretty sad to see them go. Cause it was, it was a good spot. That's a shame. <laughs> Well, while Americans are failing to import poutine from uh, Canada, uh, we are exporting a lot of our foreign talent up to you in Canada. And we kind of want to start to ask you about that ARF, about that trend and uh, unpack all of that for us. But first, I was hoping, you know, most of the audience uh, will probably be U.S.-based folks and some might be familiar with the Canadian immigration system. It's difficult to really bring up uh, U.S. employment-based immigration without bringing up Canada because it's become such an important part of, of the system here. Um, but I was hoping you could unpack just sort of the political breakdown on immigration in Canada, but in particular, employment-based immigration. You know, in the U.S., it's, it's fairly known that there's a couple of Democrats, a couple of Republicans who are very pro-vocally outspoken about the, the, the need to bring in talent from overseas. Um, but it, it's very partisan for the most part in the overall conversation of immigration. In Canada, I've heard a few interviews with the conservative leader there. Seems like for the most part, he's on board with increasing, um, you know, the number of immigrants that Canada brings in. Uh, and meanwhile, the Trudeau government is, is doing the same thing. So could you unpack the landscape uh, uh, politically in Canada when it comes to immigration? Yeah, of course. And I think you, you've already you know, done a great summary there. Like, I would say, you know, by and large, the attitude towards immigration in Canada uh, is that immigrant, immigrants, immigration and newcomers are a force for good uh, and that they contribute to the country both economically and culturally and, and in all aspects. Um, and that has generally led to a sentiment where um, immigration numbers have increased in Canada over time, regardless of political party uh, that's, that's been you know, in charge. Uh, and you know, normally when we do webinars, we actually have a chart that kind of shows first that if you were to go back, you know, 25, 30 years, you'd see a steady increase in just the number of Im uh, immigrants and newcomers coming to Canada. Um, and then if you were to overlay that with like parties in charge, even as the parties have changed, uh, you would see that um, they, those numbers have continued to rise. Um, and, you know, we'll get into some of this later, but there is survey data that also shows that Canadians look at uh, immigration as being uh, positive, which helps um, kind of take that off the table for um, you know, being a political, you know, lightning rod of any kind. Um, and part of this is just because similar to the U.S., Canada has uh, combined immigration plans, right? So if you look at it, there's economic migrants, um, there's family reunification, and then there's cases like refugees or those facing different global crises. Uh, if you look at this split in Canada of what that is, the economic portion is always the largest bucket. Uh, so the number one source of immigrants and newcomers is economic migrants. Uh, it's typically 60% or higher of the of the people that are coming in. And so when people think about immigration and when they think about people coming to the country, they generally the first thought is they you know they work, they're they're uh, you know helping the GDP, they're helping to grow the economy, they're contributing uh, to the country. And that's quite different than the numbers in the U.S., where uh, the number of economic migrants is you know 20% or less. So it's a lot more family reunification, diversity visa lottery, uh, and other places where 
the sentiment towards immigration is just not that strong, which is why the political will, even on either side, is actually to either keep the status quo or reduce immigration versus in Canada, where it's actually quite strong to increase immigration. And so that's you know, something that has we've seen regardless of political lines, just because even if you were to watch Canadian debates when, uh, um, you know, where there's a political election, the question is not, should we have immigration? It's generally just how much and some of the more specific nuances around it. But the, the answer to immigration has always generally been yes. And it's interesting because um, one thing I hear, hear often amongst um, uh, policymakers in the U.S. who uh, tout Canada's immigration system as a blueprint for us is in the U.S. we set a cap for the number of immigrants we let in each year. In Canada, each year you set new levels for how many immigrants you want to, you want to welcome in. Can you unpack the immigration mm -hmm. levels plan that Canada has and, and how that works? Yeah, of course. Uh, and so a little bit of background there is every year Canada sets a three-year target for immigration, uh, which is basically called the immigration levels plan. And so it announces two things. One is uh, the overall immigration targets by year. So how many net new uh, people do they want to bring in as permanent residents or citizens? Uh, the second piece is how that splits up amongst economic, family causes, refugees, and humanitarian causes. So you can see Canada wants to bring in X number of immigrants, and here's how it will break down by the targets. And they give a little bit of wiggle room there. So there's a range of you know low and high on both the overall target as well as the uh, individual sections. But that is basically announced on an annual basis and updated for three years out. Um, and if you were to look at the most recent levels plan, um, it basically projected record immigration for each of 23, 24, and 25, uh, with over half, or sorry, with a total of half a million immigrants uh, in 2025, which would be the largest number ever in Canada. So um, to your earlier point, uh, you know, they announced that plan and it is trending in that same direction that we've been seeing uh, from you know, the previous years where it continues to set new records every year. Yeah, it's fascinating. It's very much in contrast with the with the approach that we have here. I know Eric has some questions for you related to that. Yeah, or if I, as Finn, Finn was alluding to, you know, here here in the states, there's just constant news on immigration. A lot of it, as you mentioned, focused on humanitarian uh, aspect of it. Um, I'm curious how the coverage and like the, 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 the news alerts are in Canada as well. Like uh, any recent news updates that our audience or that you would like to share, uh, particularly around the speed at which Canada can implement its changes to its implement uh, to its immigration system. I think that's what always is been the most fascinating thing to me when learning about Canada and how it approaches immigration. It's, it seems, and you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but that the C Canadian government is able to make these changes at a more robust pace compared to the U.S., where you know it has to go through both both chambers of Congress, then be signed by the president. And to Finn's earlier point, you know, there's just this uh, political debates uh, often, you know, means that legislation doesn't move forward, but. You know, when I am on BBC, I feel if I see these changes, it's 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 it kind of reflects the speed at which Canada can move. Yeah, no, that's that's a really good point. I mean, the system is just a lot nimbler in terms of being able to respond to what's going on in the current market. 
um, which is, you know, when you when you think about immigration, extremely important because if your number one target for immigration is economic migrants, what you really want to be able to do is uh, make sure that you're targeting those that would help fill labor gaps in the country and help actually contribute to the economy where it's most needed, right? So if you're bringing in folks where there's very little, uh, you know, need for those individuals in roles, it's kind of setting up a lose-lose because you're saturating the market with people that you may not necessarily need, and you're bringing in people that won't be able to find the jobs that you want them to to, to be able to find and be successful in the country, right? So having that agility, I think, is is really important and, and super helpful. And, there's a few examples of this, I think, that are that are helpful. So one is um, there's a program in Canada called the Global Talent Stream. Um, and not to get too in the weeds, but typically if you want to bring talent into Canada under the normal system, you have to do what's called a labor market impact assessment, which is basically to say that you have made efforts to hire someone locally. It has not been successful. Um, and there is a shortage. And that is, you know, therefore why you are looking to hire foreign talent, because there's the, the market uh, doesn't allow you to do that locally. Um, what the global talent stream did was basically streamline a lot of that process where it said we've already like, you know, it's effectively saying that we already know we have a shortage of technology workers, which is where this program is focused um, just based on the data, based on, uh, you know, employment rates, based on uh, the number of the, the demand for those roles, uh, the number of open positions, like all of this data that basically shows that there's way more open roles. Uh, then there are people to do those roles. And that is a problem that's only going to get exacerbated if we don't help try and solve it through something like immigration. Um, and so it created an expedited stream where uh, if you are, you know, in a qualified company in Canada, uh, importantly, if you're willing to do things that help improve uh, the lives of Canadians and permanent residents through what's called a labor market benefits plan. So this could be through hiring Canadians hosting events related to diversity and underrepresentation, hiring interns, working with universities, all kinds of things that benefit the country as a whole. So if you're a company that's willing to do all of that and you're hiring within these specific sectors, so things like software engineering, data science, machine learning, AI, all the hot you know, top yeah. occupations that you would think about, you can essentially have people uh, from anywhere in the world working for your company in as little as four weeks. And this is a program that's available year round uh, and it's not, capped similar to the H-1B at like 85,000, it's really based on market demand, right? So uh, it really changed the the dynamic of how we're able to hire because um, we know there's a software engineering talent shortage. And if you can basically look around the world and have people join your team within a month, uh, that's a lot different and a lot more, you know, useful than, than uh, um, you know, having to wait several months or a year to, to get something like that. So that's an example of a program that was created uh, by the government originally as a pilot, it was super successful. It's doing what it's supposed to do. It's bringing in the right talent, and these companies are helping Canada long term. It was, you know, then made into a permanent program. But that's an example of something that was just introduced, uh, piloted, successful, and then you know made permanent. That's super interesting, and just again, just fascinating to hear you describe the, the nimbleness that, or the yeah, the nimbleness from the government where they identified a problem and were able to introduce a pilot program, and then just implemented full-time. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm curious, you mentioned, you know, shortage of, shortage of occupations such as tech workers, software engineers, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe a bigger picture, how are demographics influencing uh, the government's approach to immigration? Yeah, so, I mean, that's, that's a really good question. And, you know, I think by and large, Canada is similar to many 
um, you know, Western European countries and the U.S. in that we have an aging population. Mm. Um, people are having less kids, uh, <laughs> and therefore the average age of the population is going to increase if we if we continue to do that. Uh, and so that's just going to be more people needing social services with less people able to actually uh, contribute to those services, right? So um, that I think is a primary catalyst for why uh, immigration is being used as a tool to help help solve that because you know there's a few ways to, to solve this one is you encourage people to have children which is mm -hmm. you know <laughs> you can only do so much of that and people are only going to do what they're going to do yeah. the other is you can just bring talent in that's in that prime kind of earning stage of their lives right so if you bring in the most in-demand talent from around the world that are the most highly skilled and highly trained individuals and they you know then choose to make Canada their home as a long-term place they will be contributing to the GDP, contributing to the economy, uh, paying taxes, both you know sales taxes and income taxes, uh, and you know building that tax base for the country so that we can successfully you know de-age the population through a really really effective means. And you're actually you know you're you you have some control over this in that you can select like where you have that demand, right? So right now mm -hmm. technology is obviously a huge area for that, um, but that can change and you can adapt based on you know what that might be. And so, you know, I think that's how demographics influence policy is that an aging population that's getting more reliant on, on services requires you to uh, bring in a younger group so that you can grow your GDP, grow your economy and remain competitive, you know, as a, as a G7 country. Super interesting, super interesting. Uh, you mentioned the, uh, you know, there is no like eight. H-1B-esque type visa in, in, in Canada or in terms of like there's a lottery. Uh, we're going to hit on that a little bit more in a second and some more differences between Canadian immigration system and the U.S. immigration system. But first, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on are there any similarities between the U.S. and, and Canadian immigration systems? Uh, I think there are some. Um, like I think, you know, there are uh, systems in place that uh, distinguish between economic immigration and other categories like family reunification and, and humanitarian refugee type causes. So we have that in terms of like those buckets exist, mm -hmm. uh, I think, across both uh, countries. Um, I think there is, you know, similarity in that there's occupational focus on what you're what you're targeting, like uh, the example that I gave with the global talent stream is largely focused on technology and now some additional engineering fields. Um, similarly, the H-1B obviously has a list of occupations that are eligible uh, to even apply for that, right? So you can't just apply as any role, like there's priority given to the roles that in theory are, are the most in demand to fill that, fill that cap, right? Uh, and in the U.S., I know that that is largely also technology focused. Um, and then there's similarities as well, just on some of the conditions that you need to meet to hire foreign nationals. So. Um, similar to how the H-1B has uh, prevailing wages for, you know, depending on the market you're hiring, you have to pay people a certain uh, salary or wage that exists in Canada as well, where, you know, if you're hiring engineers in Toronto, that could be different than in Calgary or Vancouver, just based on local market uh, median wages that, that have to be met so that you're not uh, basically using foreign talent to undercut the local market. So that's something that's not, you know, not allowed. And I think that's similar to both, both countries. So there's definitely similarity. I think the execution is quite different between the countries, but, the principles on those nature, I think, are, are pretty similar. Another aspect of the system um, that relates to demographics relates to uh, the economic drivers behind Canadian, the Canadian immigration system. Um, and it's something that's been proposed here in the U.S. Uh, is a state 
based immigration system. Canada has a provincial uh, based immigration or has provincial based immigration programs, correct? Yeah, so it's, it's interesting on how that works, because similar to the US immigration is a federal uh, stream. So, you know, the government of Canada, similar to uh, the US government does have ultimate control over uh, the immigration policy in the country. Um, but what Canada allows for, which is interesting, is they have um, certain numbers of what they call provincial nominations that each province gets, where they can nominate people for uh, permanent residency, which is the equivalent of a US green card in Canada, uh, based on criteria that is specific to that province and the needs of that province. Um, so it's probably easier with an example. Uh, there's a program in Alberta called the Alberta Accelerated Tech Program that was created uh, you know, relatively recently, about a year ago. Um, and it basically allows Alberta to prioritize those within technology roles for permanent residency by giving them a nomination to the province of Alberta. Uh, and so what that would mean is that you would apply federally for your, uh, you know, permanent residency, but then you would indicate interest in Alberta. And if you're a valid employer in Alberta, you would basically say, hey, I want to hire this individual. Uh, I want to support them through the stream. Uh, we have a role for them. You know, you meet all that criteria. And that individual basically gets a ton of additional points, which makes it a lot easier for them to get their PR uh, in Canada. Uh, that individual commits to, uh, you know, living in Alberta, uh, you know, while that's while that's being obtained. And, and basically, uh, the company commits to having the role for them active for at least a year after they achieve their PR so that they you know, uh, are, are able to stay for that. Uh, but it's an example of a program that where, um, you know, the provinces have some control and they can see, like, what type of worker do we need? Where are we short of people? Uh, you know, how do we think about that? And then they can develop programs that are specific for that. So that's an example. There's other provinces that use, uh, you know, where they need workers in more rural areas. And so they'll prioritize people that uh, are willing to live outside of maybe the major cities and, and develop some of the rural areas. So. It allows for more flexibility, which I think is the, the key takeaway, that uh, is more responsive to the needs of that specific province, right? So similar to the US, like what California needs may be quite different than what you know Wyoming might need. And this allows some of that uh, discretion at the provincial level while still keeping a federal system. Yeah, it's a fascinating system. I think just uh, last week, the governors of Indiana and Utah uh, proposed a, a state-based visa pr program here in the US. and. Uh, Envoy has a blog coming out in a couple of weeks, really highlighting all of the growing tech hubs in Canada and how they're not. You know, Vancouver is obviously a big one, Toronto, Waterloo, but there's the, the Canadian immigration system is really uh, filtering foreign talent to, across the country so that there's um, sort of a rising tide lifts all boats. Right. Whereas in the U.S., Silicon Valley, Seattle, New York are kind of the famous tech hubs, but mm -hmm. Cleveland and uh, Boise aren't as well known for, for their for uh, attracting foreign talent to work uh, in, in STEM positions. Um, you touched a little bit no, on, I mean, oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry, I was gonna say that this, you know, it really works. Like we are operational in Vancouver, Toronto, Halifax and Calgary. So we're, you know, we're nationwide and we can see when provinces decide to do certain things like that actually influences the decisions of companies we work with as well as the talent that we're hiring in terms of where they wanna go. So it, you know, it can really actually influence decision-making and, and actually, cause people to choose where to be based on, you know, what, what's, what's available. Yeah. I mean, it seems, you know, seems like a very altruistic, you know, smart approach that we just have failed to act on here in the U S but uh, you touched on the, the points based system that you have in Canada a little bit. I was wondering if you could 
unpack that a little bit more um, and also tell us about the permanent residency process uh, in Canada for immigrants. Yeah, yeah, of course. And that, that's quite different than the U.S. So, um, you know, it's definitely worth, worth spending a little bit of time there. So uh, I know the U.S. has, uh, you know, the green card system, which has um, country caps. And so every year, uh, only certain numbers of individuals from any particular country could get nominated for uh, a green card or, or earn a green card. And for some countries like India, that list is, you know, upwards of 10 or 20 years. <laughs> uh, and so it could take a, you know, a really long time to actually be able to achieve that. Uh, the Canadian system is, is quite different in that it's all, you know, at least for the, the major PR stream, which is called express entry PR, um, it is focused on a point-based system. So it's a merit-based system in terms of who Canada invites to uh, apply for permanent residency or invites to, to take part in that. Uh, and so they look at things like age, education, work experience, both foreign and in Canada, uh, and language skills, so either English, French, or both. Uh, and then there's additional points awarded for things like if you have family in Canada, you can get some points. Uh, importantly, if you have a job offer in Canada or you're already working in Canada, you can get additional points. And really what this is trying to do is ensure that for those that are being invited for permanent residency for economic reasons, um, they're being chosen based on the merits of how valuable we think that would be to the country, right? So are they... Uh, you know, you get more points for being younger, you get more points for strong language skills, you get more points for the more work experience you have, and you get more points for, you know, the different levels of education you would have. So a 25-year-old candidate that has a master's degree and three years of experience is going to be chosen over someone that may not have that same experience. And so basically, you would set up a profile online, you enter all of your data, you, you know, get a point calculation, and then every two weeks or so, the country just does a draw. And the top you know, between 3,000 and 5,000, sometimes more, will just get chosen to apply for PR. And so you know exactly what that criteria is. If you're below the threshold, you know what you can do to improve it. You can improve your language skills, you can get further education, uh, you can get work experience and kind of work towards improving that score so that when the draws do happen, you would get chosen. And so it's a year round system, basically, you know, like I said, every couple of weeks they're doing these draws. And so you're always kind of intaking new people and you're always choosing from the very top of the group that's that's wanting to apply uh and it's a you know it's not based on countries at all so if the top three thousand applicants are all from brazil that's going to be what <laughs> gets chosen right so it's 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 all based on that same merit that's kind of worldwide uh just based on like meeting that criteria no it's fascinating and i'll, I'll pass it back to you eric in a minute um but famously there's there's these social media posts that go viral of these immigrants in the u.s who are phds or have master's degrees just very accomplished individuals uh who either don't get selected into the h1b lottery or maybe they're from india or china uh and they're stuck in the green card backlog for like you said 5 10 15 20 years uh and they leave the u.s oftentimes going to canada um so the fact that canada doesn't have that per country cap uh, and is is always welcoming those folks, especially the most the most accomplished, is is in high contrast to the, the randomness we seem to have here in the U.S. Uh, but Eric, I'll pass it off to you. Yeah, uh, you know, Arf and Finn. Uh, you know, as we're recording this, uh, we are almost uh, so March third. Uh, the H one B lottery in the states uh, did open up March first. Uh, the electronic registration system, and I think it's going to be for until like the middle of the month. And RF, as you mentioned, only eighty five thousand total visas. 
last year, I believe it was a record number of registrations submitted and Finn uh, number check me if I'm wrong, but I think it was like over 480,000 registrations were submitted. Um, mm-hmm. So the odd, you know, someone can, can do the odds on, on being selected. Canada does not have an H1B lottery. And I think it's one of the biggest differences uh, between, between the two immigration systems. For an employer, let's, let's uh, play out like a hypothetical. Uh, for a U.S.-based employer who uh, submits a registration for an employee and, that is, and they're not selected, but the employer really wants to bring this employee ab- on board, how can they, is, is Canada an H-1B alternative or, or can Canada be an H-1B alternative? Uh, definitely can. Um, and I know it is for, for a lot of folks. So if you were to look at companies like Microsoft, Amazon, Google, uh, you know, Meta, they all have very large presences in Canada, large and growing presences in Canada. Uh, and it's, you know, it's generally for a couple of reasons. Obviously, there's a lot of engineering talent here um, that uh, they want to be able to access, which is which is important. Um, but another key reason is that for those that they either want to bring to the U.S. from abroad who don't win the lottery or those that are in the U.S. and can't stay, like if you were on a STEM OPT visa and you have your final chance at the lottery. And, you know, like you said, it's like a 20 or 30 percent chance each time, depending on the number of people who register. Um, you know, even if you have three chances, there's a good chance that it won't work. Uh, they often bring those people to Canada, uh, on work permits or, you know, through a permanent residency program or both. Uh, and so it's certainly possible. Uh, it's a little bit harder to do as a new company. It's a little bit harder to do as a smaller company. Mm. Um, and the reason I say that is that, uh, for the new aspects, some of these programs in order to access them. You have to show uh, a record of good standing in Canada and having, you know, uh, existed here, having an office here, having employed people here uh, that are Canadians. And, and like I said at the beginning, there's in some of the cases, especially with the global talent stream, commitments you need to make uh, to show that you're going to better the lives of Canadians and permanent residents. And so if you're brand new, you're not going to have any of that. So it makes it somewhat challenging to do, uh, you know, if you're thinking about this now for, you know, the upcoming lottery. Um and if you're smaller, it's a little bit challenging only because it's tough to do a second entity in a different country at, uh, without doing it at scale, right? So mm-hmm. if you think about figuring out uh, office space, figuring out uh, health benefits, figuring out a payroll provider, figuring out all the different things required to operate in a new country, whether you need HR or you need ops, like all those things, mm-hmm. if you're only going to do this for like two people, it generally is you know, a lot more trouble than it can be potentially worth. Um, and you know, it's, it's where someone like a company like us can definitely help. Um, but it's definitely doable. And we know a lot of companies that do use Canada as that, uh, you know, kind of plan B or backup plan for those that, uh, either don't win the lottery, or like you said, you know, we've got people that have just been on the green card list for 10 years or 12 years. And they're like, I can't keep going through this cycle and, and want an alternative or, um, they have a spouse that can't work in the U S cause they didn't get the H4 EAD or like there's some complication related to that. Or, uh, you know, in those cases, like there's always, you know, people looking at Canada and, and, you know, ways to, ways to help there. What, what suggestions do you have for employers uh, at this moment or with, with the lottery upon us? Uh, what suggestions do you have for them to think about now, but also in the future? You know, maybe their 2023 or 2024 uh, immigration programs within their company. Yeah, so I mean, I think it is definitely worth uh, 
exploring if it hasn't been done already, like Canada as that destination for for talent, right? And I think it's it's a few ways you can look at it. So those you have in the US who can't stay or don't want to stay, Canada can be that alternative. Those you have abroad that you want to bring in, Canada can be that alternative because it's a you know it's a you're able to bring them in year round, not just based around a lottery and it's not a uh you know 20 or 30 percent chance of success. Like it's a quite you know quite a bit higher. Uh, and it's a lot quicker. Uh, just in the sense that, you know, these work permits, like I said, can be done as little as four weeks, you know, sometimes six or eight weeks, but very quick, as opposed to even if you win the lottery in March, uh, you know, it takes till October for someone to actually yeah. get, you know, into the country. So there's, there's lag there that you can avoid, um, you know, shamelessly plugging us. I mean, I, I would advise people to just reach out to our company, like go to mobsquad.io and, and click get started and we can have that conversation. And, you know, we're very honest and upfront where like, if we think it makes sense for you to do it yourself, we'll just be like, this is, that's what you should do. And here's how, mm-hmm. uh, if we think it actually makes sense for us to help because we've done all this legwork already, then we'll, you know, go down that path. But, um, you know, we're always happy to entertain the conversations and, uh, and, you know, try and see what the specific situations are because, you know, when it's subscale and when it's immediate, like it's generally helpful to have a partner. Uh, if you're well-established, if you've got a Canadian operation that we can, you know, we can certainly guide you on the right path there as well. Totally. Uh, Before we dive a little bit deeper into Canada as a growing destination for for uh, employers and U.S. based employers Mm -hmm. are just curious to hear your thoughts. Um, Are there any components of the U.S. immigration system that you like? Yes, I mean, I think some of it gets back to uh, some of the similarities. So. Mm -hmm. You know, I do think that uh, narrowing down the occupation list is something that is is obviously helpful because you want to focus your immigration on areas of need, uh, which the U.S. does, you know, through the H-1B and, and other uh, visa streams. Uh, you know, I think there are some helpful systems depending on certain countries, like, uh, you know, there's L1 intercompany transfers that are available in some cases. There's uh, uh, TN visas that are available in some cases. So in certain, you know, uh, countries where there's that strong kind of either trade or immigration relationship, there's pathways that uh, I think can prove super useful. Uh, you know, and I know a lot of Canadians who are in the U.S. on TNs and, and, and uh, you know, successfully working there. So uh, definitely options there. And then I think, you know, the um, uh, I think there are important guardrails that you want in place, which the U.S. does have. Right. So like some of those wage guardrails where you do want to protect to make sure that you're not just bringing in folks that are going to undercut the local market and cause displacement of, of existing workers. Like that's definitely not the idea. Uh, and so I think, you know, having these guardrails is, uh, you know, is smart and is, uh, you know, worthwhile doing. Uh, so those are some, some areas I think that are, that are good about the system um, and, you know, and help. So Arf, we sent you a copy uh, before we, we had this chat of Envoy's 2023 immigration trends report, and there were some interesting stats in there that we wanted to get your reaction on. So just quick background for, for the audience, uh, Envoy surveyed 500 uh, HR professionals who specialize in corporate immigration and global mobility for companies based across the U.S. Um, Arf, two stats I want to read off to you and just get your reaction. 62% of respondents mm-hmm. in our survey said that they moved employees, foreign national employees to Canada because of immigration related issues in the U.S. And 87% of respondents in our survey said that they prefer the Canadian immigration system over the U.S.'s because it's more employer-friendly. 
Yes, I mean, uh, firstly, not super surprised, um, given what we've talked about over the last, uh, you know, 40 minutes here, uh, that all, um, you know, kind of tracks. Uh, so that uh, that does make sense. And I mean, you know, given the, the business we're in, we talk to companies every day who are either considering this or have done this or want to do this in some way, shape or form. And so uh, that all does make sense. It, you know, it, it's logical that uh, for companies in the U.S., uh, it's easiest to look either north or south directly. Um, and Canada makes a lot of sense because, um, you know, there's a lot of uh, congruency, right, between the countries. There's obviously, we share, you know, language congruency, we share business culture congruency, we share time zone congruency. And so, um, you know, looking at Canada makes a lot of sense. If you're a New York-based company, being in a Toronto or Halifax, you know, or having, having you know, some sort of presence there uh, can certainly help. And, you know, an SF similarly being in Calgary or Vancouver can, can really help because you basically have folks along the same timeline, uh, you know, that are able to continue working with the team, which is, which is critical. Uh, and then, you know, some of the, I think things we highlighted on the Canadian system being year round, being quicker, being a little more agile, uh, and being less focused on country caps and more on merit. Um, you know, I, I think the favorability, you know, numbers, numbers make sense. And, and as you said, if 62% are relocating to Canada, people are taking action on this as well. Yeah, no, the, the numbers were, were fascinating, but not surprising, uh, like you mentioned. And you spoke earlier about sort of the revolving door of the metas and the Amazons, the big tech, tech companies of the world, the revolving door between Seattle and Vancouver or New York and Toronto. And uh, these big companies have, you know, big presences in both the U.S. and Canada for the reasons you've stated. Uh, for, for maybe a growing company or a smaller company that has four national employees and are facing the same immigration barriers that are preventing them from uh, continuing sponsorship uh, or, or getting sponsorship in the first place for their employees. What are your recommendations for, for folks like that on exploring how to set up shop in Canada and maybe relocating some of their foreign talent up there? Yes. I mean, uh, some of it stems back to what we talked about a little bit before in terms of, you know, establishing yourself and, and creating those, those credentials here so that you can access everything. And I mean, depending on the size of the organization and how, uh, you know, how many folks they want to move both economically and, uh, you know, just from a, a work standpoint, like this is where someone like us comes in. Like we really want to be able to help with that. Uh, and so, you know, what, you know, what we do just in a, in a small nutshell is um, we can basically act as a virtual Canadian subsidiary for um, entities that are thinking about having talent in Canada. Right. So we can, hire folks, we can do all of the immigration through all of the streams we've talked about, including Global Talent Stream, Express Entry, and some of the provincial systems as well. Um, you know, we, we keep folks on our payroll, we handle benefits, we handle, you know, workers' comp and any remittances that are Canadian-specific. We have offices across the country. Uh, and so, you know, if you're in a situation where you've got people that are um, in the U.S. and uh, can't stay or didn't win the lottery, or you have people abroad who you weren't able to bring in, um, you know, we can do this as a super turnkey thing within a matter of weeks. Uh, and then you basically get to continue working with this talent on an exclusive and long-term basis from Canada through a company like ours. So, you know, like I said, um, we have those one-to-one -one conversations with companies that are considering this. And so I'd encourage people to reach out. If it makes sense for, for them to do this, we'll send them on that path. Uh, if it makes sense for us to help, we will of course, uh, you know, do that. So just depending on the scale size, you know, urgency and all of that is, is you know, it, it changes in terms of what that, what that answer would be. So how quickly uh, can you help companies or can companies work with you, uh, you know, to send talent to Canada if they are not selected in this uh, current 
or upcoming H1B lottery? Yes, I mean, we can work super quickly. Like as we discussed earlier, the actual immigration for folks, so bringing in you know talented technology individuals uh, can be as quick as four weeks. I would budget at least six weeks just to allow for some uh, right. you know buffer and, and, and yeah. timeline for processing. But uh, you know it, it, it's really, really quick. And in most cases, it's well before someone's visa would expire in the US. Um, the part that can sometimes take time is, you know, obviously, having that conversation with the company, explaining how it works, going through contracts, making sure all the pricing makes sense. And so we do encourage companies that, you know, maybe putting folks through the lottery right now to actually reach out now. Um, because what we would think makes the most sense is let's have those initial discussions. Let's see if there's a good match here. Let's see if the individual is even interested in coming to Canada. Um, and if all of that lines up, then we just wait for the lottery, right? If the person's able to stay, perfect, you know, no, no uh, harm done. We've, we've had the conversation and you know that we exist. Um, if the individual is not able to stay, then you've already done all the legwork with us to, to get to the end point and we can just sign contracts and start the immigration process right away. Uh, so we can get closer to that, you know, four to six week timeline versus, uh, you know, taking a few months where you may have to do a lot lead time kind of leading up to the relationship. So, um, we can generally work as quick as companies are willing to work. And that's why, you know, the timing for this is super relevant because we know, uh, so many companies are now basically either entering people into the lottery or have already done so and are waiting for those results anxiously. Uh, and so, you know, now's the perfect time to start thinking about, you know, what that backup plan might be, just given the sheer odds of the lottery being, you know, 20 or 30%. Right, right. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, where can people learn more about Mob Squad? Yeah, so the best way to do that is just go to our website, mobsquad.io. Uh, mobsqad.io and there's a button you'll see right at the top called get started uh, and so if you're a company um, there's a form you'd fill out we don't ask for too much information because we like to just get on the phone and, and have that conversation so it's just you know a little bit of basic stuff so we know what we're getting into uh, and if you're an engineer that's potentially facing you know having to leave then there's a section that you could fill out as well just explaining your situation so we can work on either side of that depending on you know who it is but uh, that just helps us direct traffic to the right folks so that you get the best answers for, uh, for what you're looking for. <laughs> totally. Uh, anything else, uh, you'd like our, our listeners to know about, uh, mob squad in general? Yeah. I mean, I, I guess a couple things like we, um, you know, try and do this on the very premium end and, and be, uh, super bespoke and super, uh, you know, um, caring to the individuals that we are helping. Uh, so for companies, you know, what we want to do for them is basically have anything related to having folks in Canada and not be a worry at all. So like you would continue to have people support you on an exclusive and long-term basis, but you wouldn't have to think about how does payroll work? How do benefits work? How does workers comp work? You know, what are these different remittance programs that are equivalent to social security or anything like that? Uh, you know, where will they work? Like we've got the offices, like, you know, and importantly, all the immigration compliance, right? So we create not only do we get them in on the expedited work permits, but we put anybody on a path to permanent residency for them and their family uh, so that they can stay in Canada long-term. Like our solution is designed to be long-term and then you never really have to worry about all of that immigration compliance work uh, again, because that's really you know what we're specialized in. And for engineers that are coming, uh, you know, we really emphasize super empathetic and super white glove service with, with all of them. So. You know, we want to make sure that for a lot of folks, it's their first time ever coming to Canada and they're bringing a family and they've never been here. We want to make sure that um, that experience is super positive and kind of gets back to when we were talking at the beginning. It's a really welcoming and 
and uh, friendly feeling when you when you do make that decision. Like we, you know, we pick every engineer up at the airport when they arrive. We make sure they have housing, you know, figured out, both temporary and permanent. We try and figure out schools if they have kids. Like we try and find uh, work for their spouses. Like anything that might come up. Like we're trying to solve that so that we're, uh, you know, we're doing this in a way that that makes their lives great. Which you know, in turn, again, is a, I think is a win-win because they're super happy and they're more productive and, you know, their end client is happier because they're not worried about all these other things. So, um, you know, that's just a little bit of the spiel on, you know, why, you know, I think we're, why we're doing this and, you know, getting back to the very beginning, why I wanted to be a part of this. It's not just a business for us. Like, it's actually really important for us to, you know, A, help these individuals that we think, you know, are super important and, and, uh, amazing people but also you know help build this talent uh talent here and, and have them be able to keep their north american dream alive in, in some way so what i'm hearing is that the stereotype about canadians being nice is true <laughs> yeah fortunately yes we do like routine and we're, and we're nice <laughs> Break, breaking news here on the immigration <laughs> podcast i uh i, I want to ask you just to wrap it up here Arv, yeah, in a minute um about what your outlook is on Canadian immigration in the future going forward. Um, but first, one thing I forgot to mention earlier is, as I read that Canada expand, recently expanded the ability for visitors to stay in the country uh, after they uh, seek a job. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that? Because it might relate to folks who are listening who you know are looking at Canada as an alternative to the H-1B uh, if they, the lottery doesn't work out for them. Yeah, so I'm not sure on that specific policy. I, you know, I do know that um, there continue to be efforts to help uh, those that are planning to stay in Canada, um, you know, that we're here on a temporary basis, convert to, you know, permanent residency and, and create paths that, that allow for that. Uh, and I know that this is true for both, um, you know, international students who choose to study in Canada and trying to make that easier for them to, to stay long term. Uh, and I know that this is true as well for people who entered in as temporary residents, whether that was as workers or, or visitors to, to create pathways for them to become permanent residents. So I don't know about this specific program, but I do know that there's a lot of initiative underway to, to do that because, um, you know, logically, if you've been here and you like it here and you've worked here or you studied here, uh, you know, we don't want to lose that talent because they're obviously contributing already. And so, um, there's certainly work underway and, and new programs being announced all the time to, to help with that. And it speaks a little bit to the, to the agility that I was talking about where, um, you know, if there's a recognized pathway or sorry, a recognized problem that can create pathways to help uh, solve for that. Um, and then in terms of your first part of that, or in terms of where I think I see things going, um, 2021 and 2022 were each record years for immigration. So there were over 400,000 uh, permanent residents in 2021 and over 430,000 in 2022, which were records which is especially impressive when you consider that a lot of that was under COVID, uh, that the country still managed to figure out a way to uh, continue to hit those levels plans and uh, reach record immigration. Um, as we talked about earlier, the immigration plans for the next three years, according to the levels plan, is to break that record three consecutive times. Uh, so I do continue to see the trend for immigration being positive, both in terms of the absolute numbers, which is important, uh, but also in terms of the streams where there is uh, the most demand. So there are, as I mentioned, there's a program in Alberta called the Alberta Accelerated Tech Program. Uh, there's a program in BC also related to technology. Uh, there are additional pathways and additional uh, policy being put in place to allow more uh, career-focused uh, immigration pathways. And so I think for those that are highly, highly qualified and highly skilled, the uh, 
options are going to continue to increase, uh, as well as the number of immigrants are going to continue to increase. And so uh, I think you'll see, you know, the trends that you've been seeing will largely continue, but just actually, uh, you know, in a more, uh, uh, in a way that scales even faster. Fascinating and exciting. Um, that's all I have for you, Eric. Any any last questions for Arf? No, Arf. I I, I think uh, this was a super insightful conversation. Um, hit on a lot of a lot of aspects of of Canadian immigration. Yeah, super uh, super glad you're able to, to to hop on the show today, and really appreciate you taking the time out to uh, to to be on here with us. Uh, second ever guest. So uh, yeah, super awesome. <laughs> Oh, thank you as well. Thank you. I appreciate both of your uh, your time, and this was this was really fun. I hope it uh, helped build some knowledge of Canadian immigration and and some you know local foods and, and breweries as well. <laughs> totally. All right, Arf. Well, we appreciate your time, and uh, we'll 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 see you soon. So, thank you. Hey everyone, right, thank you for tuning in to Immigration and Mobility Decoded. Uh, if you watched this video on YouTube and you enjoyed it please hit the like button and consider subscribing to the Envoy Global YouTube channel for more content like this. Uh, otherwise, please follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks, everyone.